Hey Conjurers, I'm Steph. And I'm Shan. Welcome to the final episode of Season 4. We are going to take a break for the holidays, but we'll be back for Season 5 next year. Thanks for listening. On to the case about a whirlwind romance between a young ballerina and a successful businessman, which led to big dreams and even bigger allegations. This golden couple seemed to be finally working things out when it all came crashing down. Was it all a series of unfortunate events beyond their control, or was it really one big game of smoke and mirrors from the beginning? In August of 2016, 24-year-old Ashley Byers was working for the Trump campaign in Sarasota, Florida, appealing to the evangelical voters and hyping up crowds at rallies. She wrote in her journal at the time about traveling on Trump's private jet while he showered her with compliments, calling her things like his little bombshell and his little girl. Aside from her work in politics, Ashley was a ballet dancer and swimsuit model. She had previously been a featured performer with the Maryland Youth Ballet. She wasn't famous by any means, but she was known as a, quote, good and well-trained dancer. At a 2016 Republican Party fundraiser, Ashley met 54-year-old widower Doug Benefield and Sparks flew. Doug was from Charleston, South Carolina. He was a handsome and charming entrepreneur, Navy veteran, and consultant for some major technology companies as well as the U.S. government. Doug immediately thought Ashley was the most beautiful and most amazing person he had ever met. The two bonded over their shared conservative values and the love of the Second Amendment. She impressed him right away when she revealed she had guns on her at that dinner, in her purse as well as in her bra. Doug was deeply religious, and he and Ashley found they had their Christian values in common as well. The next day, Doug had to leave the country for a few days on a business trip. They texted constantly while he was away, and by the end of that week when he returned, they were already saying, I love you. I can't imagine bonding over your love over the Second Amendment. Or being so obsessed with it that you're carrying one in your bra. I didn't even think you could fit one in your bra. Maybe she had a custom bra made for it. I don't know. (laughs) I don't understand the obsession with guns either. Well, I can already tell I'm going to have a tough time understanding most of this couple's choices. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 13 days after they met, Doug reached out to a pastor friend of his, Trip, and begged him to marry them. Tripp wasn't thrilled about the idea. Doug had already been married a couple of times. The first one ended in divorce, and his second wife, Renee, had suddenly died only nine months before he met Ashley of an undiagnosed heart condition. His 15-year-old daughter was still grieving the loss of her mother as well as the trauma of being the one to find her mom's body. Doug's friend felt rushing into a marriage with a woman he barely knew that was closer to his teenage daughter's age than his own was not the best choice. It didn't matter, though. Doug and Ashley were determined, and the two were married in a tiny impromptu ceremony with no guests. They didn't even tell Doug's daughter, Eva. Eva and Doug were super close. When Renee died, they supported each other and grew even closer. Eva felt she could talk to her dad about anything. Boy problems, school drama, all of it. Every morning, he texted her a Bible verse. It was their thing without fail. Maybe that's why it hurts so bad to find out he remarried without telling her. Doug encouraged Ashley to try to be a mother figure to Eva, but Eva wasn't interested in a new mother only nine years older than herself. 
The situation got even more tense when Doug allowed Eva's friend Sydney to move into the house with them. Two teenage girls and a new young wife he barely knew was a recipe for disaster. Ashley felt insecure, telling a friend she felt like Doug would choose Eva over her every time, and she just wanted him to choose her. During one very heated argument between Doug and Ashley, Doug snapped and fired a gun into the ceiling out of frustration. He immediately regretted it, but it didn't seem to phase their relationship at all. Okay, one, using any form of weapons during an argument is a red flag. Two, if you have to hide your marriage from people like your own children, maybe even you know it's not the right thing to do. And three, I understand spouses coming before kids, especially in Christian culture, but girl, you just met this man. He barely knows you. I agree. Also, this girl's mom just died not even a year ago. She needs her dad, and I would hope he would be there for her over some random woman he just met. It's already giving not meant to be, but carry on. Two days after the gun incident, Doug and Ashley threw themselves a lavish formal wedding reception, complete with guests this time. The newlyweds also launched themselves into a risky new joint business venture. Ashley had always dreamed of starting her own ballet company. Doug encouraged her to start it right there in Charleston, South Carolina, which isn't exactly known for its dance scene. They hired ballet master Michael Wise to train the dancers. They talked a big game about big money, saying they had $10 million secured from backers. Ashley had a unique dream of creating a more inclusive ballet, having dancers of every shade, color, and body type. She wanted to break the mold of tiny white ballerinas, and people loved the idea. They named their new company the American National Ballet. Ashley and Doug were there for the auditions, and the majority of the dancers they chose were like Ashley in that they had drive and passion, but hadn't been given an opportunity. Dancer after dancer proudly posted to social media that they'd joined the American National Ballet. In the summer of 2017, 40 dancers from all over the world began arriving in Charleston to work with Ashley. From the first meeting, they realized what they'd been promised wasn't exactly true. They had been told a state-of-the-art dance studio was being built right next to the apartments the dancers would live in. But when day one arrived, Doug was scrambling to find a facility to borrow. On top of all of this chaos and confusion, the dancers were having trouble getting paid. Their checks were often late if they arrived at all. Doug was scrambling to meet the company's obligations. When the dancers would demand answers regarding their paychecks, he would run down to the bank and pull out cash to give to people. Handing out last-minute wads of cash didn't exactly inspire confidence. The dancers demanded to know where Ashley was. She was supposed to be running the show. Okay, I do applaud her for trying to branch out in ballet and open up opportunities for men and women who would usually be turned away. But don't offer these dancers the dream if you're not prepared to support them financially. Yeah, so many red flags here. The wads of cash instead of a paycheck is a big one. Just wow. That's very weird. And then Ashley just vanishes. If I were the dancers, I'd feel so uneasy and their dream is slowly turning into a nightmare. Yeah. And that was when Doug announced that Ashley was bedridden with a difficult pregnancy. The dancers held on, hoping that when Ashley returned, she would fix all of these issues and chaos. But Ashley didn't come back. At the end of August, Ashley up and moved back to Florida to live with her mother, leaving Doug to figure out the ballet company on his own. 
Doug was completely overwhelmed trying to run a business he knew nothing about. The final straw was in September. While Doug was at an event for the ballet, Ashley and her mother drove up from Florida to Doug's house in Charleston and packed up her things. Ashley left Doug a hurtful note listing all the reasons why she didn't want to be with him anymore. In the note, Ashley called him possessive and controlling. She listed the incident where he'd fired a gun into the ceiling as well as other behavior that left her, quote, fearful for her life and the safety for her unborn child, end quote. She also accused Doug of poisoning her. Doug was already out more than $100,000 in the ballet company, so he decided to make some big changes. He announced that Ashley was stepping down and brought in new leadership. The new leadership fired half of the dancers in October of 2017, and two days later, Ashley posted to social media saying, quote, I am completely devastated by what has been done. The new leadership has destroyed all that we worked so hard to build, end quote. Within a few months, the company was done for good. Doug's ballet nightmare was over, but his friends say a new one was just beginning. Ashley, girl... You don't get a say on what new ownership is doing to a business that you abandon. You destroyed all the work you built to. Exactly. She wants the credit for this big idea, but refused to put in any actual work. It was all a scam, basically. And Doug's friends mentioned this wasn't the end, so elaborate. Right. So Ashley started asking questions about Doug's late wife, Renee, and how she had died. She texted Doug asking for specifics. He told her she had a 75% artery blockage, which led to a heart attack. Doug even sent her the autopsy report to ease her fears, but she didn't believe it. She started telling people she thought Doug had poisoned Renee and alleged that he had been poisoning her as well. She started getting suspicious when she got pregnant because she felt like she was more nauseous than she would have expected to be just by pregnancy. They were both big tea drinkers, and she grew suspicious of the times that Doug would bring her tea in bed because she didn't want to get out of bed yet. Doug had even bought her a beautiful teapot and teacups and specialty teas for pregnant women. She gathered up the teapot, cups, and tea he had bought for her and took it all down to the police station. Police took her claim seriously and treated the items as hazardous materials. They tested all of it and told her that there were no poisonous materials found. That wasn't good enough for Ashley. Ashley sent samples of her hair to an independent lab for testing to determine if she'd been poisoned. The lab report said it had detected dangerous levels of aluminum, cobalt, zinc, tin, and barium in her body. Their theory was that Ashley had been deliberately exposed to these toxins, quote, by an individual who may be identified as the poisoner, end quote. However, all of the blood work she had gotten done throughout her pregnancy always came back clean. The company that ran Ashley's hair samples have had many controversial claims in the past. As far back as 2013 and as recent as 2019, they've been claiming insane toxicology results that are easily disproved by other experts in the field. It would seem even though it's unlikely Ashley was actually being poisoned, she truly believed that she was. I know pregnancy hormones can sometimes have us on edge, but this isn't it. If she truly believes this after so many professionals told her otherwise, that's cause for concern. Look, I was super sick my entire pregnancy. That is just how pregnancy goes for some women. It doesn't mean you are poisoned. She just kept pushing until she found a company willing to support her insane idea. Oh, same. 
And there's definitely something going on here. Sham will tell us how this craziness got even worse after this short Ashley believed the conspiracy that Doug was poisoning her so deeply that three weeks before her due date, without telling Doug, Ashley checked herself into the hospital and demanded they save her baby. She told doctors that her child had been exposed to heavy metal poisoning because her husband had been poisoning her through her tea. She claimed he was stalking her, even though in reality he was hundreds of miles away in a different state. The hospital had no reason to doubt her story. They took every precaution for her safety. They admitted her under the name Christina, and three days later, doctors performed an emergency C-section. The baby girl was healthy, even for being born three weeks early, but Ashley continued to worry. Doug didn't find out about his new daughter until a month later after she was born. The father's name had been left blank on the birth certificate, and Ashley had given her a name that they never discussed. Regardless, Doug was thrilled that his baby girl was healthy and in the world. Ashley had no interest in letting Doug anywhere near her baby, though. She was still convinced that he had killed Renee and had tried to poison her while she was pregnant. Ashley signed herself up and her tiny baby for hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Typically, this therapy is used to help scuba divers suffering from decompression sickness or firefighters with carbon monoxide poisoning. Ashley believed it could remove the toxic metals from their blood. Every day for 26 sessions, she took her baby for treatment. She was the youngest person to ever go through hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and it likely wasn't even needed. Jesus, that's insane. I understand that she was scared and really thought that this was happening to her, but she's putting her newborn baby's life in danger with those treatments. I honestly don't understand why she was allowed to put her baby through those treatments in the first place. There was nothing on record from health professionals to back that up as being necessary. That's so weird. Does she calm down and settle into her new life as a single mother eventually? Well, Ashley and her mother couldn't let it go and live their lives hundreds of miles away. They went as far as harassing Doug's daughter, Eva, trying to convince her that her dad killed her mom. They told her that they feared for her safety, but she refused to listen to them. From Florida, Ashley repeatedly called CPS on Doug, and Eva was frequently questioned about how her father treated her. He was a wonderful father, and she hated that Ashley was putting him through this out of spite. Each time Ashley called CPS, they investigated Doug, and he was cleared. On July 30th of 2018, Ashley and Doug arrived at the Manatee County Courthouse in Florida. Doug was seeking custody of their four-month-old daughter who he never met, while Ashley alleging domestic violence and attempted poisoning wanted a restraining order. Doug's lawyers came prepared, though. They showed that Ashley had dropped out of high school, was still being supported financially by Doug, and was prone to conspiracy thinking. She didn't believe in vaccinating her child and had already subjected her to dangerous treatments that weren't needed. Ashley had no proof of domestic violence or poisoning, and no witnesses were willing to testify against Doug. After an eight-hour hearing that stretched over two days, the judge denied Ashley's request and ordered the parents to share custody equally. On the court-appointed day for the pair to meet, where Ashley was to hand over the baby to Doug, Ashley was friendly and cooperative. She even suggested they spend time together as a family to make the transition easier for their daughter. Doug agreed and was hopeful that maybe Ashley was coming around. It really feels like she's more interested in believing the conspiracy theories and just refuses to accept any proof to the contrary. Her mother isn't helping either. I'm starting to wonder if mental health issues run in the family. She's going solely on her thoughts, nothing that has actually happened. And what's going on now she wants to work it out? Yeah, I don't trust this sudden change in attitude from Ashley. Neither do I. 
But in November of 2018, they enlisted the help of a marriage counselor and seemed to be trying to work things out. In January of 2019, Ashley and Doug were photographed together at a black tie ballet gala, looking as in love as ever. But behind those smiling faces, Ashley apparently still didn't trust Doug. On Easter weekend of 2019, the whole family went out to dinner, and Ashley and her mother pulled Eva aside. They asked her if she felt safe living with him, and once again, they tried to convince her that Doug killed her mother. They also told Eva that her dad was going to kill Ashley and her mother too. She tried multiple times to defuse the situation by telling them her dad has been nothing but supportive, but they weren't listening. That summer, Doug grew suspicious of Ashley. He sometimes had trouble reaching her, and he saw what looked like an engagement ring on her hand once. He secretly placed a tracking device on her car and hired a private investigator, who told him that Ashley was seeing someone else. Ashley and Doug broke up again, but this time, the separation was his idea. Even though he was hurt, he still hoped to work things out with her and become a family again. Even as Ashley continued to fight for full custody, Doug thanked her over text for being an amazing woman and for giving birth to their precious baby. He forgave her for the affair and begged her to drop the poisoning accusations. This is such a toxic relationship. They really need to just share custody and forget about each other in any other way. This case is weird for me because she's clearly suffering from some form of mental illness. But let's not forget, he shot a gun into the ceiling during an argument. I almost want to remove the kid from both their care. It's definitely not a good environment from either side. Let me guess, they continued their yo-yo relationship. Oh, you know it. In May of 2020, two months into COVID lockdown, Ashley appeared to have the change of heart Doug had been hoping for. She texted Doug and said she wanted to talk about getting back together. They started going on dates, and it seemed like they were trying to do things right this time. Ashley even suggested they move together to Maryland, where Ashley had grown up, and where Doug was starting his new job for a fresh start. Doug's lawyer cautioned him to be careful. Ashley's last attempt at legal action against him for poisoning allegations had recently been dismissed, so she could no longer use it in the state of Florida, and his lawyer suspected Ashley was up to something. She wrote to him on August 31st, saying, quote, it has long been my belief, sorry I know you don't want to hear this, that Ashley could be using this opportunity to forum shop, looking for a new jurisdiction and a new judge to whom she could restart this story since she had no luck in Florida, end quote. Doug responded that he has the same concern and he didn't fully trust her, no matter how much he wanted her to change. Despite his suspicions, Doug rented a U-Haul and messaged Ashley on September 14th, saying, and I quote, with sincere heart and love and excited to begin the next stage of our shared journey, end quote. On the evening of Sunday, September 27th, 2020, Ashley and Doug were together at Ashley's mother's house in Florida, packing up her things. A custody hearing was scheduled for the 30th, and then they would leave for Maryland and their fresh start together. A psychologist's evaluations of Ashley and Doug were going to be released at that hearing. What Doug didn't know was the evaluation showed how different their mindsets really were. The psychologist intended to tell the judge that Doug was determined to make their marriage work and eager to make Ashley happy. But Ashley had no interest in reconciliation and wanted nothing to do with Doug. Exactly. Ashley's playing some kind of game here. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's not super obvious, but he should have held out on moving forward with her until after that hearing. How did Ashley expect to get away with her act of starting a new life with Doug after all that came out in court? Doug was about to find out that she'd been playing him. Well, Doug would never discover that Ashley was only pretending to want a life with him. 
Around 7 p.m. that Sunday night on September 27th of 2020, Ashley's mother took her granddaughter to a nearby park so Ashley and Doug could be alone. Not long after that, a neighbor of Ashley's called 911 and reported hearing gunshots. When the sheriff's deputies arrived, they found Doug on the floor of Ashley's bedroom, bleeding from his leg, arm, and chest. He was still alive but unable to speak. He died an hour later at a nearby hospital. At the scene, police found a stray bullet on the floor and two more lodged into the wall. Ashley told police that she acted in self-defense. She claimed Doug attacked her and she was forced to shoot him to make him stop. Investigators determined that Doug had been shot twice from behind. He was shot once in the leg and once in the arm and the bullet traveled into his chest cavity. According to the felony complaint, the police noticed no injuries on Ashley, and based on the entry wounds, it didn't appear that he was even facing Ashley when she began shooting. That feels planned. Who takes a baby to the park that late at night? I think Ashley and her mother had a plan to get the baby safely out of the house so she could kill Doug. He was just casually packing up boxes when she snuck up behind him and shot him multiple times. I mean, listen, I didn't go to school for this, but I feel like it's fact this was planned. She was so eager to end him. This case is so recent. Do we know how this story ends? Five weeks after the shooting, Ashley was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. She pleaded not guilty. She was released on bond after spending about two weeks in jail. On her application for a public defender, she said that she had no cash, no bank account, and no savings. It remains unclear whether Ashley really did fear for her life or if it was all just smoke and mirrors. Her trial is expected to take place sometime in 2023. On October 17, 2020, Doug's friends and family scattered his ashes in the water at Sullivan's Island Beach, just a few miles from the home he had once shared with Ashley. Afterwards, about 40 people gathered at a nearby Dunleavy's pub for a celebration of life. Eva dropped out of college and now works part-time at a coffee shop, sells painting of landscapes on Etsy, and posts TikToks about evil stepmothers. Was Ashley an abused woman afraid for her life, or did she let a conspiracy theory overcome her rational thinking? Most believe Doug was a kind and trusting person who fell in love with the wrong woman. Some believe Ashley was a gold digger and wanted revenge when Doug cut off the flow of money. Then there are those who think Ashley had a point about the poisoning allegations. We may never know what really happened behind closed doors in that whirlwind of a relationship, but Ashley will face the jury to answer for what she's done soon enough. NAMI offers support and education programs for families and individuals living with mental health conditions. NAMI recognizes that the key concepts of recovery, resiliency, and support are essential to improving the wellness and quality of life of all persons affected by mental illness. Find your local NAMI location at nami.org slash support. Or call their helpline at 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264. To view images, information, and sources from this case, visit our website at crimeandconjure.com. Research and writing for this episode was done by Stefan Sham. Editing of this episode by Denver Fortner Productions with music by Jordan Elena. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Podcast for the question of the week. You can also find us on TikTok. Steph, what's our conjure tip of the week? Today I want to introduce you to the practice of scrying. Scrying is a form of divination that involves using a reflective object of some sort as a meditation tool to see visions. Those visions can be of the past, the present, or a possible future. Of all methods of scrying, mirror scrying is arguably the easiest. 
Arrange a mirror so that you sit directly in front of it and have a candle on each side between you and the mirror. Make sure there are no additional light sources in the room. Wear clothing that is dark and does not reflect in the mirror. Sit approximately 18 to 24 inches from the mirror and you can light incense or play meditative music if you wish. As the candle burns, relax your entire body. When you have relaxed completely, work to still your mind. Focus on the surface of the mirror and the reflections you see from the candlelight and occasional wafts of smoke. Do not strain your eyes to see anything or work too hard. Relax and let it come to you. With mirror scrying, you will sometimes see physical images. You may see your features shift and change until you look like someone else, or you may have images appear in your mind. Pay attention to any impressions you receive when you're in this state. Okay, I love a good ritual. Mirror one's not so much for me, though, but I love that for you guys. As we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this is our final episode of season four. Thank you so much for supporting us on this journey and keep an eye out for our bonus episodes on Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. Until Until next time, stay vigilant, conjurers. conjurers.